Welcome to Beliefs of the Heart Weekly Reflection. I'm Sam Williamson, and today we're discussing how do we handle the evil done to us? My wife's friend has been angry for 40 years, maybe 50. When we go out to dinner as couples, she decides which restaurant we visit every single time. After all, she knows the best Italian, Chinese, French, and even the best Coney Island restaurants. During the dinners, if I ask her husband questions, she interrupts his answers with her opinions. Then she offers somewhat wacky views on politics, spirituality, and mental health. My guess is that 80% of the time the four of us are together, she is talking. A couple years ago, she saw a counselor who pinpointed a moment of trauma in her life. When she was 17, her father grabbed her favorite homecoming dress and threw it away in a fit of anger. as a kind of punishment because she had skipped classes again. After considering what her father had done and after some soul searching and deep prayer, she finally began to forgive him. A year later, she and her husband invited my wife and me out to dinner. She chose the Indian restaurant and she dominated the discussion with her analysis of COVID, politics, and prayer. And she was still angry. As far as I could tell, nothing had changed. Consequences of the harm done to us. I went into full-time ministry 15 years ago. During that time, I have spoken with hundreds of men and women, all of whom have been injured by a person in their past. I know a man who was overweight in grade school and whose seventh grade gym teacher told him to go home and get his mother's bra. I know a woman whose mother repeatedly told her that she was dumb as dirt and to keep her mouth shut to hide it. And I've talked with men and women who are sexually assaulted by neighbors, teachers, and family. A particularly close spiritual mentor of mine from university days ended our friendship in such an offensive, insensitive manner, I decided never to share my personal life with anyone again. And I didn't for years. And my life suffered for it as did my wife's. Past woundings have affected us all. Some of us are embroiled in bitterness towards the offender, a bitterness that robs us and those around us of freedom and joy. Some of us are entangled by past messages that accompany these harms. As Churchill once wrote, small people, casual remarks, and little things very often shape our lives more powerfully than the deliberate, solemn advice of great people at critical moments. But it's not the evil done to us. A few weeks ago, my friend's wife emailed to invite us to dinner. She asked, what is your favorite restaurant? We suggested the Ethiopian Blue Nile in downtown Ann Arbor. Over dinner, the woman asked about our life after moving out of Ann Arbor, asked what church we attended, asked about our grandkids. I said, something seems different about you. That's my understatement of the year. What happened? She said that her daughter is getting counseling and came home a few months ago to discuss the trauma she had experienced growing up in their family. Trauma from her, my friend's wife, the mom. At first, my friend's wife was livid. How dare this daughter of mine accuse me of traumatizing behavior? I was a much better parent than my parents. And then she felt convicted. Just as Nathan said to David, thou art the man, she felt God convict her with, thou art a woman of self-centeredness. 
a self-centeredness that fostered harm. She continued, and I quote, I went through a season of deep repentance. I remember what a defiant child I had been with the angry rebellion of the 60s, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I'm sure my father simply didn't know what to do with me. My repentance gave me a humility and other-centeredness that I have never experienced. The evil done to us is not always our fault, and we have no control over that. But we can control our response. She said, I called my father and repented for my childhood rebellion and anger and bitterness. Then I repented to past friends, neighbors, and especially to my children. Nothing has given me so much freedom as admitting my guilt, confessing my sin, and asking for forgiveness. She ended, and I quote, I thought my biggest problem was my dad's bad parenting. I wanted him punished. But my response simply put me in prison. My original forgiveness of my father helped, but I still judged him. Repentance finally slammed that cell door shut with me on the outside. Her sharing convicted me. I'm taking a little time to begin this year with repentance, and I hear prison doors slamming and deep forgiveness forming. Or as Augustine prayed, Oh Lord, deliver me from this lust of always needing to vindicate myself. Sam. Shortly after I posted this article, a, another man contacted me to talk a little bit about his difficulty in a ministry. He had been involved in a men's ministry, sort of a nationwide ministry, and he was let go in just a particularly nasty, insensitive, sort of cruel way. And, you know, I, I only heard it from his side of this, you know, his side of the story, but I've heard several accounts of something like this where people are sort of used up like Kleenex and once they're used up, they're tossed away. And his, he basically left ministry for over 10 years. He has not been in ministry because of bad experience. And he's pretty angry towards that ministry. Now, his summary of it was, he said, we all have PTSD and shame and we need self-compassion. And, you know, I don't know that I completely agree with that. I, I mean, I do believe that we have some kind of PTSD, or, you know, whatever you want to call it. That might be too strong. But I, th I think we have had certain trauma, but I don't think our primary need is self-compassion. I don't think our primary need is forgiveness, although it depends on how you define forgiveness. The thing that this man kept saying over and over again, as he's describing this men's ministry that let him go, he said, I'd never do that. I would never do that. I would never do that. I'd never do that. And on one hand, I believe this man never would. It's, it, he, he, he's not cruel in his nature. And so I don't think he would have treated somebody else cruelly. But I think there's a way that we all can hide behind our nature and condemn other people's natures. And I, I, I actually think one of the most dangerous things we can do spiritually is look at somebody else and say, I'd never do that. Because there's the hint of truth. We might not do that because our temptations are different. I don't have a set of temptations that other people do. And if I walk around saying, I'd never do that, I'm sort of covering the sins that I have by blaming others. Thank you, Lord. I'm not like that sinner over there. It's, it's purely a pharisaical prayer. To say, I'd never do that is a pharisaical prayer. 
why is it so hard to repent? I mean, I think when this woman in the story talks about being convicted by her daughter about having raised her daughter poorly, she's angry. It takes a while to repent. I forgave my father kind of thing. But at a certain point, she realized she hadn't done the job she wanted. And that's hard. You know, I was asked to talk somewhere and um, I was talking to the group of people who were leading it and I had wanted to talk about repentance. And one of the leaders said, I don't want us to talk about repentance. It makes people feel bad. Well, you know, look at, I don't want to make people feel bad. My problem is people are in prison and, and we want to set them free. And sometimes it means saying you're in prison. I mean, it's not because we want to condemn them. It's because we want people to be freed. And the freedom we need, you know, how do I say this? It's just weird to say, you know, in the 21st century, nobody talks about sin because it makes people feel bad. But but for 2,000 years, Christianity has said, our greatest problem is what we did, not what they did. In fact, for over 2,000 years, because if you go back to the third uh, chapter of Genesis, Adam blames Eve for what he did. And he blames God for what he did. Eve blames the serpent. We all are giving too much self-compassion. We're blaming the other events. I mean, how many movies have I seen where the main problem is we say they just needed therapy. They just needed a little bit of help. And I think we do need therapy. I'm not disparaging therapy. You know, I I think of um, movies where Somebody is gruff, they're rough, they're harsh, they're cruel. But then we go back and look at their history. This is like a Christmas carol, Scrooge and a Christmas carol. All of a sudden they deal with their past trauma and everything's fine. But but that ignores the years that Scrooge was nasty and cruel and greedy and, and drove people out of their houses. His biggest problem isn't his past. His biggest problem is his past sin. It's not his past victimhood. It's his past sin. I don't want to talk about sin, but I do want to say our biggest problem is our brokenness, not their brokenness. And honestly, I said earlier, forgiveness isn't the biggest thing. It is in a certain sense what we need is we need to repent, but we also need to forgive. The reason I don't think this, my friend's wife, who had forgiven her dad, but she hadn't repented, was because she didn't really know the true meaning of forgiveness. There's a man named Miroslav Volf, who is a theologian who lived in the Balkans during the wars. He had seen his family slaughtered, you know, family members beaten, raped, killed. And this is what he said about forgiveness. And and like, this is the best quote I've ever heard on it. Miroslav Volf said, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Miroslav Volf says, to forgive, yes, we have to quit excluding them from humanity. So my friend's wife finally forgave her dad and sort of brought him into the community of humans. But she didn't fully forgive him because she didn't exclude herself from the community of sinners. In fact, she still excluded herself from the community of sinners. And only when she said, I'm a sinner, my only hope is God. My hope is this. My hope rests on nothing less than the blood of Christ and his righteousness. So, you know, this is sort of a downer podcast, but I don't think it is. There can be a joy 
in repentance. I, I, I believe, you know, scripture says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 who don't need it. Not that, that there are 99 who don't need it, but we think repentance makes us feel bad, but I think it's the, it's, it's the, the secular twist on therapy that says our biggest problem is the PTSD and what's been done to us. Whereas scripture says our biggest problem is what we've done. Can we, can we, can we humbly admit that and go to God and say, oh, Father, I am so sorry for my sins. I repent. And, and go to other people and say, you know what? I was not as good of a parent as I wanted to be. And you know what? I was not as good a friend as I wanted to be. And I'm telling you, there is more joy in heaven over one person who repents, over one person than 99 who don't. Look, at we can create a party in heaven over our repentance. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Please join us by following this podcast or liking it. And visit our website, beliefsoftheheart.com, for more articles, books, videos, podcasts, and courses, all designed to foster intimate theology, deepening a real relationship with the real God who is there. See you next week.